On today's podcast, we have Jeffrey Baker, the school administrator of the Santa Fe Waldorf School in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was founded in 1983 and sits on 13 beautiful acres on the edge of the mountains and currently educates around 210 students in grades pre-K through 12. Jeffrey himself was a teacher for seven years, worked as an administrator at the Oregon College of Art and Craft, and ran one of the larger summer arts camps, uh, day camps in Oregon. Really great opportunity to have a conversation about Waldorf education, which is growing in its popularity all around the country. If you go to the Association of Waldorf Schools website, you can see all the schools all over the place. And I think it's, it's only something that's going to be on the uptick. So it was great to talk to someone who runs one of these schools to understand the history, the philosophy, and what it looks like for a child to walk through the doors. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeffrey Baker of the Santa Fe Waldorf School. So I think maybe it would be best to start with uh, a discussion of when we see the name Santa Fe Waldorf School. Everyone should be familiar with Santa Fe and uh, where it is. But Waldorf education might not necessarily be a household term. Could you describe the Waldorf education philosophy? Yeah, Waldorf education is a philosophy that's actually been in existence for nearly 100 years. The 100th anniversary of Waldorf education worldwide will be in 2019. And the idea behind Waldorf education uh, derives from a perspective about childhood development um, as observed by an Austrian polymath, Rudolf Steiner, in the early 1900s. And essentially what Steiner was looking at and purporting was that children go through these stages of development between the ages of zero and 21 to be roughly broken into three stages of development, and that an education that is understanding of that and suited towards those stages of development uh, will do the best job in helping them realize their fullest potential, educate them in a manner that uh, will encourage their own personal freedom and growth in life, and retain a significant love of learning and engagement with the wider world as they become adults. So, the Santa Fe Water School is actually part of a much larger worldwide collective of schools. Uh, each of these schools is uh, its own entity. Some are independent, some are charter, um, some receive some funding depending on the countries that they're located in or the states, but uh, they all are connected by this pedagogical model that was put forward by Rudolf Steiner about 100 years ago. So now when a child walks into a Waldorf school, what is going to set that school apart from what we might consider a more traditional form of education? Well, there are quite a few distinct differences that a family or a child is going to encounter coming to a Waldorf school. One of the things that people note primarily upon their first visit is this incredible um, focus on the aesthetic experience within the school, so the spaces themselves are light and air-filled and um, they have beautiful colors and lots of natural objects and natural surfaces and playthings for the children to interact with at the younger years. The, the schools tend to have a great emphasis on um, rhythm, both a seasonal rhythm as well as a daily rhythm and a weekly rhythm, and they're very relationship-driven. Um, certainly, education generally uh, finds its greatest success in their strong relationships at work between teacher and pupil. But in a Waldorf school, we 
have a model wherein teachers often stay with children for a number of years in their educational journey, which presents a unique opportunity for that teacher to become a truly significant person in the life of a child as they grow up and go through school. So now you mentioned in Steiner's philosophy this view towards the stages of a child's development. You know, historically in schools, we've tended to associate those with grades or, or even transitions with elementary school or middle school or high school. So do, do Waldorf schools or your school in particular have age-graded classrooms? They go to first grade or second grade or third grade. You mentioned teachers following students. Is it, is it a little bit more fluid or, or is that part of the rhythm as, you know, children age? Yeah, they certainly move through a progression of grades, um, but often with the same teacher for a number of years, as I mentioned prior. So uh, we do have a first grade class and a second grade class and third grade class. And, you know, some of our students will be with their classmates and their teacher for five years or six years to the elementary school experience. Um, as they progress in, in the curriculum, as their intellectual capacities grow and develop, the school does start to have more and more uh, specialty teachers come in for certain subjects um, throughout the grades, things like Spanish or movement or uh, mathematics skills and English skills as we move into the middle school years and then beyond into high school. But at, at essence, what is what is working with Waldorf education is the idea that there's a, a tremendous amount of creative freedom for the teachers. There is a sort of a roadmap to the curriculum and the pedagogy and how it unfolds, but the teacher is in a place of freedom, um, getting to work directly with these students over a period of time to, to model their lessons and students' experience off of individual needs or the classroom social dynamic or classroom needs generally. And that makes for an experience that really becomes much more tailored towards the individuals that the teacher is interacting with each day. So students are getting, yes, this general experience of the pedagogy, but it can be uh, more highly fashioned towards the needs of the students of the current day. Uh, the pedagogy follows certain indications and models, as I said, from Rudolf Steiner, and many of those have uh, been fundamentally um, serviceable over the past hundred years without question, but inherently built into the curriculum is also this idea that education should be in a, a living engagement between the adults providing it, so the educators and the children, with the parents, of course, being an integral part of that mix, the, the, the primary educator, obviously, and a collaborator through this whole process. So now how did the Santa Fe Waldorf School get started? It was started like many Waldorf schools, certainly in the U.S., where there was a group of individuals, some of them educators, some of them parents, who were interested in Rudolf Steiner's ideas about education and wanted to be able to provide a Waldorf methodology to children in, in this region, in northern New Mexico. So the school was founded in 1983. Um, and very quickly moved to the site it now inhabits within the first year of its life. It moved to this current campus where we're at now. We have a, a lovely 13-acre campus that's backed by the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which provides the backdrop to Santa Fe itself. Um, and it's a, it's a high desert campus with pinon and juniper and lots of open play spaces 
and arroyos and what have you for the children to to interact with and to engage with as part of their daily play outdoors during recess and also as part of their educational experience and investigations during the curricular day. And so now how many students does it serve now? We are a preschool all the way through high school um, institution here in Santa Fe. So we have about 210 students. Uh, Our class sizes tend to range 12 to 14. Um, So fairly small classes throughout the grades, but this provides for a lot of opportunity for the teachers to engage directly with the kids um, and provide some of that kind of customization uh, that I was talking a little bit about earlier in relation to the educational experience of each class. You know, in, in a more traditional public setting like I was raised in, we had this experience as children and students. We have new teacher, a new teacher every year or new teachers every single year. And of course, there's always this period of transition that that requires where one has to get a sense of who is this human being before me or who are you know these individuals that I'm now working with as a student that are my teachers and how do I work within their expectations, their standards. And while there's certainly importance in navigating that, um, the reality is, is that also can cut into a significant amount of the educational experience for children. By having these more long-term relationships in place, we are allowed to open up our curriculum to be a much more integrated, holistic education that allows for ample opportunity in the arts and in athletics, outdoor and wilderness education, all of these other things that sometimes schools might struggle to provide time for, the time is provided somewhat in the structure of allowing for a longer-term relationship between teacher and students. I think that's great. I, I think back to my own teaching days. I used to be a ninth and 10th grade English teacher, and I taught at a, at a relatively small school, so I was the only ninth and 10th grade English teacher. So for a, a portion of my students, I would have them for two years. I would teach them in, in ninth grade and then again in 10th grade. And I know just from a planning perspective or, or thinking about the types of stuff that, that, that we wanted to tackle together, thinking about that as a two-year plan as opposed to a one-year plan, really thinking about how the skills and, and capacities that students were developing could continue to develop and flourish over a longer period of time, really changed my attitude uh, I found it it gave me a lot less kind of day-to-day pressure because it's like, whoa, you've got time to do this. If, if, if the little activity that we're doing today or whatever we're working on doesn't necessarily work out, it's all right. You're going to spend two years with these kids. We're, gonna, we're eventually going to get it uh, together. So I think it's fascinating to even extend that out even further. But I'm interested. In, so how did, how did you get involved in the school? Well, I actually graduated from college with an arts background and very quickly coming out of school, um, moved into education. I taught for a French international school in Los Angeles for two years and then uh, saw a job posting for a school that was specifically seeking somebody with classroom experience and more of an arts background. And that's how I stumbled upon Waldorf education myself, bringing no real awareness at first about Rudolf Steiner or, or the Waldorf educational movement worldwide. Um, I came in as a person who was intrigued by the idea of getting more of a long-term experience with students, more of a long-term view of the educational activity rather than just you know, a set amount of state standards that must be met at you know, any given week or any given month. 
um, having worked with that experience a bit, both in the French system and in the California state system, being able to move into a Waldorf pedagogy felt very much like a breath of fresh air as an educator. Uh, what I experienced in my first years of teaching in a Waldorf classroom was a real openness to new ideas, to exploring and playing with ideas, and, and a valuing of direct observation and activity among the students. Um, the, I was working primarily in middle school throughout my time as a teacher in a Waldorf school. And it's interesting because one of the, the stronger forces I think that we encounter as educators working with early adolescents or pre-adolescents is this, this potential or tendency towards cynicism that can develop. And uh, that was not living as strongly in my experience as a classroom teacher uh, with the first Waldorf school that I worked for. Instead, what I had were students that were very open to new ideas, very kind in their interactions with each other, and generally fascinated and excited by the world that surrounded them. And that felt like an incredible gift to be able to educate in that manner and to be honored as a teacher um, who was able to come forward with new ideas within the sort of pedagogical model, but come forward with new ideas, try them out. Certainly not all of them worked at any given time, but because the relationships between myself and the students, myself and their parents were strong, it felt as if we were all actively engaged in this learning process together. We were all part of this artistic endeavor to educate children in a manner that left them excited about the world that they were going to enter as adults. So now I'm interested in, in sort of unpacking uh, these, these pieces of family, children, parents, or, uh, and teachers, educators that are part of it. So if we maybe kind of drill down talking about the, the side of teachers, of educators. So it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the things that, that the Waldorf model asks of teachers is, is different than traditional uh, schools ask of and, and might not necessarily be covered in traditional teacher education programs or the things that teachers need to get licensed, to get certified, to, to, to operate in schools. So I'm curious, where do you all find your teachers? Do you have to do uh, a lot of outreach to try and surface people that share this same philosophy? Is it people who graduated from Waldorf schools? Do you have to do a lot of professional development? So I'm just interested in that kind of the, the teacher question. Where do you find them? How do you get them up to speed? Yeah, and that's an excellent question. And I think it's one of those areas that, at least in the United States, which is the only area worldwide I can speak most directly to, there is certainly a greater need for Waldorf teachers right now as the movement continues to grow. I think I said that, you know, we're part of this independent school movement that spans thousands of schools now worldwide. And so the Santa Fe Waldorf School and the way it approaches this is probably indicative of, of, of a good percentage of schools in the U.S. where we have an expectation about both a college background and a college degree. Um, but in addition to that, there is specific Waldorf teacher training, which occurs as a different program from normal college track. And we're always looking to try and identify instructors who will ideally bring classroom experience with them, but also have a background in the Waldorf pedagogy through one of the Waldorf teacher training institutes that, is, that are here in the United States, as well as obviously um, a rich background of their own through college and whatever they were pursuing individually, um, either prior or post their Waldorf teacher training certificate. 
Now, the, the teacher training for Waldorf education is in part about those things that I think we commonly associate with getting a background in education, things like classroom management, curriculum planning, assessment tools, all of that. But there's a deeper component to that as well in our training institutes, which really looks at this developmental picture that Rudolf Steiner put forward about, about children and how they grow into their adulthood uh, and, and really tries to drill down into different ways that that can be met at the different ages that uh, you might be working with as a Waldorf teacher because many teachers will enter into a role with a water school where they're expecting to be with a class for a number of years. And what that means in the elementary years, for example, is that we're really asking those teachers to be something of generalists. They have to be able to cover a wide variety of topics uh, with enthusiasm and with some real artistic and creative aspects as part of that, right? And then as they move with the children into this early adolescent phase of the middle school years, um, more and more of that generalist model starts to need to shift into the role of more of a specialist, right? Especially as we go into the high school years where we employ uh, a team, essentially of folks that have specific backgrounds in subjects like science and subjects like mathematics or U.S. history, right? But they also are carrying this developmental picture with them as well. On top of all of that, the school is also regularly investing in professional development opportunities. Some of those are related specifically to Waldorf education and, and teacher trainings over the summers about the grades that the teacher might be encountering next year. Um, but some of it can be just related to general topics that are going to come up in the curriculum that the teacher wants additional support in. But our faculty often are really called upon to be models of adults striving towards this humanist ideal of a, a balance of experience and a real interest in, in the performing arts, in the visual arts, in the academic realms, in athletics, right? So they will play the recorder, they'll sing with their students, they'll go out and play movement games, they'll be working on Roman numerals while at the same time talking about the Roman Empire through an integrated historical study block. They'll be learning how to throw javelins so that they can work with students on that task when they're studying ancient Greece, for example. At heart, it's a very humanist model of education what it's asking the adults or the educators to do is to really be constantly actively striving in front of the students. That in itself provides an inspiration to young people that says that um, the adults that are before me are also interested and engaged members of the wider world. So now the other piece of the puzzle is the family. You, you mentioned uh, part of the philosophy is recognizing parents as the primary educators and this importance around modeling adult behavior for students. So do you work with parents to help cultivate those attitudes or beliefs within themselves? Do you mostly rely on those types of people to choose to send their children to the school? Is it some mix of the two? How do you work with parents so that that, that attitude, that philosophy is reinforced? Well, it's really a mixture of things. Um, it's not as if there's one specific group that's seeking out an educational model like Waldorf education. There's, there's actually a great diversity of, of parents and families that are choosing Waldorf education around the globe. Certainly here in Santa Fe, we have a, a diversity of religious beliefs, a diversity of, of economic um, backgrounds that are coming forward. So 
families, I think, come to the school for different reasons. One of the things that they respond to almost immediately, as I alluded to earlier, is this sense of a caring community that is taking a long-term view and, and allows for children to be able to preserve the sanctity of childhood while still engaging in the process of education and learning. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs at the Santa Fe Walter School. A lot of families are coming from entrepreneurial backgrounds, for example. Uh, and I think that the reason for that is really because the, the entrepreneurial person can look at this school and see that it's a school that is attempting to bring out and draw out all of these different capacities within students, not trying to direct them towards a certain specialty or a certain outcome early on in their, in their childhood and in their educational journey. So for entrepreneurs, for example, that sense of, um, that sense of an education towards adaptability and, and, and personal strength and resilience, those are things that resonate with them. There are families that come uh, because they get the feeling of uh, a real deep connection to the environment and to the ecological aspects of the education. They are interested in whole systems, right? And think about that not just in terms of the environment, but in terms of their own children's education. And so a school like ours, which really has seasonal celebrations, festivals and celebrations that the families are involved in along with the children, that has meaning and that has resonance to them. Uh, another aspect of Waldorf education that I think people often point to uh, is, is related to technology. And at a Waldorf school, we intentionally don't begin the introduction of digital technologies years in high school. And again, that is part of our commitment as an educational movement towards building creative capacities within children through the much more sort of traditional means of outdoor creative play, unstructured playtime, meaningful stories, biographies, and, and explorations firsthand with math and science. Right? We aren't relying on an experience through a screen to do that. We're bringing those experiences directly to the children's hands, directly into the classroom through the conduit of the teacher. So how do you measure success? How do you know if what you are doing is working? Well, we, we rely on qualitative assessments as a big part of what we do. So we don't issue grades at the Waldorf School until the students enter high school but they do receive uh, regular written narrative reports from the faculty uh, about how they're progressing in these different areas of study. And obviously we have parent conferences that are connected to, to that with some regularity. Uh, there have been a variety of studies done of Waldorf education and the learning outcomes of Waldorf education over the years in allowing for a longer time period for things to unfold for a child, say the ability to, to have basic reading comprehension and skills. Uh, that being something that doesn't have to be done exactly at this point, but that there's a range of years in which we would be working with that. What that does is it tends to allow for students by the time they enter into adolescence to perform quite well in, in the sort of standardized assessments that, that we're more accustomed to in traditional educational models. Um, at the high school level, that's really where we have our first standardized tests in the form of the PSAT and the SAT and the ACT, these things that are necessary parts still of the college admissions process, right? But 
Um, when our students graduate out of the school, uh, we, have, we see significant levels of merit scholarship being awarded. Our high school graduates, they're accepted to a wide range of universities uh, with a wide range of interests and tend to perform very well in college and beyond. So there are a lot of markers, but there are markers that extend beyond the standard quarter and semester. We're, again, taking a bit of a longer view with all of it. So uh, I'm glad you brought up the sort of ACT and the SAT and some of the grammar of the education system as we have it. I'm, by training, kind of a policy guy, and and so I'm interested are there ways in which your school intersects with, with public policy? So the policies either made by local school districts or the states or, or the federal government, are you able to work pretty freely? Are there things that sort of hem you in? I just would be interested to know how you intersect with, with the various myriad education policies drafted at the local, state, or federal level. Right. That's a good question. And, and depending on the type of Waldorf school you're asking that question of, your answer is going to be a bit different. Um, there are charter Waldorf schools in America, and that movement you know, continues to grow and expand uh, in, over the past years. For a school like ours, which is truly an independent entity, uh, we don't have the same sorts of connection to No Child Left Behind or whatever new educational standards you know, are put forward at the federal or state level. Um, So uh, these periodic points of standardized assessment are not something that we as a private school have to abide by um, in terms of that schedule, right? That being said, like any educational institution, we feel a strong sense of responsibility towards successful outcomes for our students and for the families that have invested in them being here. Right. Uh, But the way that we point to that and the way that we can look at that is that uh, not only are these outcomes at the end of the journey in relation to college acceptances, but the parents are really part of and integrated into the entire educational conversation year in and year out with the teacher or teachers that the child's interacting with. So, you know, the short answer to your question is that we retain a considerable amount of freedom by being an independent entity. Um, but there are Waldorf institutions in the United States that are operating under a charter model, which obviously have standards related to the federal or the state expectations that allow them that charter in the first place. So I want to close with uh, with one question. Well, actually, a brief one before that. So how long have you been uh, the school administrator of, of the Santa Fe Waldorf School? I'm in my fifth year here as the administrator, and I taught for seven years at a Waldorf school um, prior to my moving into this role. Great. So if you could go back, if we imagine we hopped in a, a time machine and we went back to your first day uh, as the as the administrator um, those five years ago, if you could give yourself one piece of advice, perhaps a lesson that you learned or, or something looking back on that time period, what, what advice would you give yourself as you started that journey? It's an interesting question to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably ample advice that I would want to give myself that I may or may not have been capable of hearing uh, at that time. I think that one of the, the pieces that would have been helpful to understand is the complexity of working with any institution that spans so many different ages and, and sections of school. 
you know, so often you see in independent schools or, or other schools, you know, the focus on a middle school, the focus on a high school, the focus on an elementary school. And there are complexities and beauties, certainly, too, uh, in relation to working with a, a preschool through 12th, which it takes time to fully understand and you might not even be aware of until you're sort of midstream in that process of coming to a full realization of the complexities of navigating that full educational journey, both for faculty as well as for families and for students. I think another aspect as a fairly young administrator, and I, I know folks who've been in school administration now for 20 plus years, um, this, this aspect that can't be underestimated about just being uh, a listening entity and a receptive entity to the ideas that are brought forward. Um, oftentimes, there is almost a greater success in the act of listening than in the attempt to try and uh, uh, improve something or fix something. Uh, so that's a piece I think that would have been useful um, early days, would have been a greater act of listening and less doing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I certainly enjoyed listening to everything that you had to say, and I don't think there's any way that I could have improved it. So, uh, Jeffrey Baker, Santa Fe Waldorf School, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. Well, what a great conversation. And it's really difficult to try and tackle all of Waldorf education's history and its philosophy and its particular manifestation in the Santa Fe Waldorf School in just half an hour. But I think Jeffrey did a great job explaining that. For those of you that are interested in Waldorf education, a pretty simple Google search can yield a lot of really interesting information, again, about the history, about the philosophy, and, and about how Waldorf schools look and educate students. As always, I'm always on the lookout for more cool schools to profile here on the Cool Schools podcast. So if you know of any, please tweet them at me, email me, send me good vibes through the universe. However it works, if you can get that information to me, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want other outstanding EdChoice content, not just cool schools, but the whole gamut of other things that we talk about here, please sign up for our email list. We have lots of opportunities for you to get our wonderful content that we send, whether it's research, whether it's policy stuff, whether it's cool things that are going on around the country related to school choice, educational choice, and all the different options that are available for students. It was a pleasure spending this time with you. Take care. Mm-hmm.